You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Things in our life can take the place of our Lord. Good things in our lives can take the place of God. Good things, our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our children, our relationship with our work people, our careers, our schooling, can take the place of God if we let it. Remember, the hierarchy of all things is God first. Everything else falls after that. God is very clear in who or what comes before Him. Good or bad, nothing is to come before the Lord. As you listen to Pastor Dave today, he'll remind you that even though your marriage, your job, and your kids are all good things, they still don't come before the Lord. He is first and everything else is second. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 10. As he begins his message, A Heart Turned from the Lord. First Kings 10 and 11. As you're turning into your Bibles to First Kings 10, also, once you've found your place there, find Deuteronomy 17. That's where we're going to begin. Deuteronomy 17. First Kings 10 and then Deuteronomy 17. So I took you to Deuteronomy 17 because it applies. And I want to read verses 14 through 20. 14 through 20. God is basically now, Moses, we believe, is the writer of the first five books of the Bible. So Moses is basically going back through the law. Deuteronomy is kind of a recap of everything. And he's going back through the law and he's adding some things to it that God has showed him. So in verse 14 of chapter 17 in Deuteronomy, if you have a heading on there, mine says, Principles Governing Kings. And I want to read this because it comes into play. Verse 14. Now God is speaking through the prophet Moses. When you come into the land which Lord God is giving you, and possesses it, and dwell on it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations that are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he, the king, shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in this book. 
from the one before the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to be careful to observe all the words of this law and the statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, and that he might not turn aside from the commandment to the right and to the left, that he may prolong his days of this kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So God has given specific instructions to those who would be king. And I think it's real interesting because we studied 1 Samuel. We studied 1 Samuel when the Israelites came to the Lord and said, we want a king. We want a king because everybody else has a king, so therefore we want a king. God was supposed to be the ruler of Israel. It was supposed to be a theocracy, which means God ruled ruled by God, but they wanted a king. What's interesting to me is here, back in Deuteronomy, before they've even come into the promised land, Moses is writing and basically prophesying that this is going to happen. You're going to ask for a king, and God is going to give you one from your own people. But then he sets up these rules, these regulations, these, these things that they have to look at, these commandments. And they were designed to prevent the king from trusting in his military might, from following foreign gods, and relying on his wealth instead of relying and trusting in God. These were the rules. Multiply horses. He didn't want his military to be big. He wanted him to trust in God to fight all his battles. Trust in God to defeat the enemies. Not to multiply wives. And note here why. Lest his heart turn away from foreign gods. Don't multiply wives, and don't multiply silver and gold. Well, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know that Solomon has already broken two out of the three. He's already mastered mastered all these other things except what God has called him to do. But he will fail on all three. In fact, way back in 1 Kings 4, he already had 40,000 horses for his chariots. And he sent them to Egypt to collect the horses, directly against God's commands. Directly against God's commands. He had already married Pharaoh's daughter. This was his first wife. And he's going to acquire many other wives for political reasons. It was customary to marry the daughters of kings that you made treaties with. So Solomon now is going to marry a lot of ladies. He goes into Egypt again. You're not to go back down to Egypt. Everything he did was contrary to God's law. We saw last week that he began to multiply his gold and his silver. See, Solomon's fame, his power, his wealth, his great wisdom was known throughout the world. Kings would come from all over just to hear Solomon speak and to hear of his wisdom and to see his beautiful, beautiful setting. Many wanted to make treaties with Israel because of the army and the size of the army. They wanted to cash in on this fortune that they saw. Their eyes must have been popping out when they saw all this gold. Remember we said that Solomon had begun his reign with a great relationship with God. He began his reign with a great relationship with God. And it pleased God when Solomon said, I want wisdom and understanding to rule your people. It pleased God. So God gave him incredible wisdom, but he also gave him incredible wealth and riches. Although Solomon didn't ask for wealth and riches. God gave him everything. What did Solomon do? He completed the temple. He completed his palace. He completed all kinds of building projects around the kingdom. So God gave Solomon wisdom and incredible wealth. 
God also gave Solomon incredible opportunities to advance God's love to other nations. Remember, and I've said this time and time again, Israel was supposed to carry the love of Jehovah God to the other nations. They were supposed to let the other nations know about Jehovah God so that they too would trust in Jehovah God. They would trust in God. But we've been talking about this for a while now. Cracks began to appear in Solomon's character. He began to multi horses and he had much wealth, but it seemed like nothing was ever enough. It seems like all he wanted was more. And I'm not talking about the little kid in Oliver who wants more of gruel. I'm talking about Solomon who wants nothing more than riches and gold and wives and stuff. He wanted stuff. He's one of the guys that could probably say he died with the most toys because he had all this stuff. Last week, we studied as he had a visitor from the east, Queen of Sheba. She came. She heard about him, and she wanted to see for himself. He answered all his questions. He answered all his questions, and they exchanged gifts. What did she give him? 120 talents of gold. That's about four tons of gold, by the way. Four tons of gold. Think about it. But this didn't quench Solomon's appetite for wealth. And he continued to grow, and we're going to see when we start reading the rest of chapter 10 that it's going to think, do get worse and worse. And everything he does is contrary to God's law. Now, when I read this and I kept on looking at this, the only thing that kept on pounding in my mind is reaping and sowing. Solomon is sowing to his flesh. He's sowing to his lust. He's sowing to these things, and he will reap what he sows. You cannot go against God's law and not reap judgment. You cannot come against God and not reap judgment. It just doesn't happen. His wealth was accumulated, and it became so much that he wanted more, always more, never enough. And I said this before. It seems like when you have more, you always want more. You know, that's why these billionaires always want to, what do they want to do? They want to make more money. It's like nothing's ever enough for them. Nothing's ever enough. And what happens is your life becomes centered around acquiring stuff and getting things. You've heard it said that at the funerals, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearst. You don't take much with you. Don't take a lot of things with you. But Solomon goes overboard. Look what happens in verses 14, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 10. Let's read the whole, all the way through. I'm going to go all the way through to the end of chapter 10. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. And we talked about this for a moment. Notice, 666 talents of gold. Every year, he got 666 talents of gold, roughly 25 tons. 25 tons of gold he got yearly. That's not a bad salary. He got 25, and we talked a hit at this last week. Look at the number of talents, 666. You've heard that number before. It's associated in the book of Revelation. It's associated there. Is it a coincidence that it shows up here in Solomon? I think not. I think not. 
15. Besides that, from the traveling merchants and the income of traders from all the kings of Arabia and all the governors of the country. And Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went to each shield. Why did he need gold shields? He has nothing better to do with his gold. He has absolutely nothing better to do with his gold than to make crazy things out of it. He made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minutes of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. And moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory. Yeah, if you didn't have a throne, you got to have an ivory one. I mean, you really got to have an ivory throne. Come on. Overlaid with pure gold. And you have to have all this beautiful ivory, right? This is how crazy it is. Think about this. You make a beautiful ivory gold. Come on. Polished ivory? I mean, an ivory throne. How beautiful is polished ivory? Nope, I don't like it. So he overlays it with gold. You can't even see the ivory. It's gone. There's gold all over the place. This guy was a gold monger, I'll tell you right now. The throne had six steps to the top of the throne, was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place and the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrest. What? Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been done in any other kingdom. Well, I guess not. My goodness. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. Now, get me the cup. Which one? The gold one, huh? And all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. None was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. (laughs) I love that. For the king had merchant ships at sea in the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. What? Apes and monkeys? Lions and tigers and apes and monkeys. Oh, my. All these crazy. Now he has a zoo. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings on the earth in riches and wisdom. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into the heart. See, God had put the heart the wisdom in the heart of Solomon. But you never read of Solomon expressing that to anybody. He never tells anybody about the God that gave him this wisdom. Each man brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses and mules, a set of rate year by year. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. Uh Uh-oh. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king at Jerusalem. There you go. Right away, you can see what he's collecting here. Against God's, look at Deuteronomy 17. You will not get horses. You will not collect chariots. The king made silver as common as Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as sycamores, which were in the lowland. Also, Solomon had horses imported from where? Egypt. Directly against God's law. And Kevav. And the king's merchants brought them in Kevav at the current price. Now, a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150, and thus, through their agents, they exported them and the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So Solomon gets all this stuff every year. They're bringing us more and more and more stuff. He has more money than anything else. Was Solomon giving God glory? Doesn't say. It does not say. Doesn't appear one way or the other. Mark said something that I like to say a lot during worship. All this in salvation too? 
If we give God glory for anything, it should be for salvation. And salvation alone. You read through Luke and read when Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. We've said this before from the podium. He sent the disciples out two by two. And he gave them authority to cast out demons and and heal the sick and do all sorts of things. When they came back, the 70 came back and they were high-fiving and chucking. Yeah, man, we we did this. Jesus railed at them and said, hey, don't do that. But rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in salvation alone. And that in and of itself should make us rejoice. Should make us want to have joy in our heart because we have salvation. Something that none of us deserved. Nobody deserves salvation. Not one person on earth deserves salvation. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not one. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Praise God the Father for his eternal plan for salvation for you, for me, for the entire world. Would that they would know. Would that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verses 26 to 29, you see Solomon is deliberately, directly disobeying the command of God. He's directly disobeying God's command by beginning, continuing to collect horses. This was against God's law. It's sad to see Solomon, who had everything, who had absolutely, wanted for absolutely nothing, slipped as he continued to collect things. And the things became more important than his relationship to the Lord. More important. If we're not careful, things in our life can take the place of God. Things in our life can take the place of our Lord. Good things in our lives can take the place of God. Good things. Our relationship with our spouses. Our relationship with our children. Our relationship with our work people. Our careers. Our schooling. Can take the place of God if we let it. Remember, the hierarchy of all things is God first. Everything else falls after that. It's always God first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. There's a reason why it says like that. So we see now that something happens with Solomon. We get to chapter 11. And we look at the first word in chapter 11. But. Instead of being one of those but God verses, this one is but King Solomon. When you see a but, it always changes the direction of everything. Everything was moving up. It changes directed. Up at this point, we read of Solomon's glowing achievements. We read of all his great accomplishments. We read of all his wealth and all his wonderful things. Everything now is going to change. Compromise has been sneaking into his life. Compromise has been sneaking into his life little by little, and it's getting bigger and bigger and growing, and now the boom is about to be lowered. The boom is about to be lowered. As we see chapter 11, we see the final blow to Solomon's character. The one thing God said would happen if any king collected wives, they would turn, these wives would turn the king's heart away from God. God predicted it, and God warned them about it. And it's interesting that in 
Nehemiah of all places. In Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah is talking to the people of Israel and they're wandering away. They're, they're moving away from the Lord and you know they're trying to give their daughters to people who are not of Israel and they're trying to take the people who are not of Israel daughters for their wives. Nehemiah says this in verse 26 of chapter 13. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him to sin. He was accusing him, and he talks about Solomon here. And here we see Solomon. And what he's saying here is Solomon, one of the most wisest men. If Solomon is one of the most wisest men ever, if he could have this sin happen to his life, we also need to beware that we could be just as vulnerable. Now, I'm not talking about collecting wives as such, but I'm talking about collecting things. I'm talking about turning our hearts away from God. I'm talking about reaping and sowing. Solomon had quite a bit to say about this in Proverbs. Remember, he talks about the woman with flattering lips who winks her eyes. He talks all about them. Maybe he's speaking from personal experience. I don't know. But he talks a lot about this. He says a wise man was blessed as God as he was, but now his downfall is the curse of women. Let's look at verses 1 through 8 in chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And I always say the same thing. Solomon, what were you thinking? For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign gods who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Oh, Solomon. Oh, Solomon. What did you do? What did you do? So you see, Solomon now was not only collecting horses and chariots, which you would think he might need in case Israel was attacked. But now he didn't trust the Lord. He refused to trust the Lord. Did he fail his father's creed when his father wrote in the psalm, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God? Solomon disregarded that. Notice what happened in verse 3. His wives turned away his heart. His wife turns away his heart. You cannot go against God's word and win. You cannot go against God's word and ever come out a winner. You are a sure.
You've been learning from the book of 1 Kings with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. Have you ever found yourself in a place like King Solomon where the temptations of the world really had a grip on you? With all the gimmicks of the world, it's not surprising. It's also not surprising that you're not the only one. Many struggle with the temptation of letting worldly things lead them rather than let the things of the Lord lead. But there is hope. Just as Solomon came to recognize that all his women, wealth, and wisdom wasn't what really mattered, you too can learn that things of the world are deceiving. So rather than put your hope and faith in the things that pass away, put your hope and faith in the one who's everlasting. God is constant, he is faithful, and he will never pass away. If you missed any part of today's teachings or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit assurehoperadio.com. Perhaps as you are listening, you realize that you have some questions about faith and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at assurehoperadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.